This week, my guest on the show is Becky Salzman. Becky is speaking to us from Portland, Oregon today. And Becky describes herself as chief curiosity seeker. Her brand is called Applied Curiosity Lab. And it's quite an interesting conversation because what we do today is talk about how Becky started, really, how she came to be in the business of training and consulting. And there's loads in this week's episode. Becky began um, in a range of areas and specifically real estate work where she found herself using that experience all those years as a kind of a laboratory or a lab for testing out her ideas, her frameworks. And I think that's a valuable tip. Sometimes people jump too soon from a corporate job into a training or consulting role with their own material without having used their current place of work as a kind of a place to try out their ideas and then go and use that in their business, their training and consulting business. And Becky's expertise is all about thinking, not just ordinary thinking, but strategic thinking and critical thinking and free-range curiosity and applied curiosity. So there's lots today if you're of a scientific bent, uh, trying to understand why critical thinking is relevant to organizations. And that's something I ask Becky, who needs the kind of material, the kinds of frameworks that Becky has developed and who buys from her, what kinds of organizations, challenges, necessitate products and consulting with things like curiosity and critical thinking. And one thing we also cover today is the thinking behind Becky's rebranding, moving away from her own personal brand, BeckySaltzman.com, to now a focus on something which is not Becky, but something that is, if you will, directed by Becky, but doesn't require her to be there. And this is her new brand called Applied Curiosity Lab. This is the Training Business Podcast. Hey, and welcome to the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Every week, we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett Hayes. Hey, this is the Training Business Podcast. Welcome to the show. Hopefully, it's not your first time here. If it is, this is the weekly show for self-employed consultants, trainers, coaches. And the focus of this show every Thursday, if you have not yet booked Mark, please do that now. The focus of this show uh, is to simply help you with other people's ideas, things like making money from your programs, your workshops, uh, perhaps books you've written or are thinking of writing, courses you've developed or are thinking of marketing and selling, and maybe the kinds of keynotes that you give or would like to give and monetize. Now, maybe you've come to this somewhere down that journey. I know I have been through many of these uh, steps and made loads of mistakes, but I like having people on the show to help you and me by learning from other people's experiences. If you've not yet begun your own training business or consulting business as a coach or facilitator, then this is still the show for you. There is a fresh episode every Thursday on your podcast platform of choice. So please take a moment now to subscribe, click on follow, click on subscribe to be notified of great episodes as they come out. This will help your business, of course, and costs absolutely nothing, takes only a couple of seconds. Who am I? Well, I should get to that too. I'm a self-employed trainer, I'm an author, I'm a coach, and I've been employed, unemployed, and self-employed, 
and re-employed. And every Thursday, I bring other guests, people, and we marry my experience with theirs and we share with you what we've learned from our mutual experiences to help you wherever you are on this wonderful journey. And it's a privileged journey, of course, being in the business of helping people to be the very best that they can be thanks to your expertise, products, and services. Becky, hi, welcome to the show. Hi, Mark. Thanks for having me. I'm in Barcelona. You're across in the Portland, East, Oregon. West, Portland, Oregon, the West Coast of the United States. I'm just going to think for a second where exactly is that? Um, so it's wonderful to talk. We had some technical difficulties the last time we spoke, and today everything is uh, tip top. And the reason I'm really pleased to have you on the show is that I think your advice is going to be really helpful to people who are thinking about a range of things, including their intellectual property, uh, the importance of having that, and how to use it in a way that uh, serves both their clients and themselves as training business owners or consultants. Why don't we, first of all, rewind and talk about how you came to be where you are today, having written books and having uh, created intellectual property in the form of frameworks. Let's go back to the beginning. Perfect. Well, I was born in a virtual cabinet of curiosities. I come from a long line of auctioneers. So my playgrounds were abandoned uh, office buildings and greasy warehouses. And I was taught at a very early age that what you see is not always what there is. And so what I learned in those greasy warehouses of my youth, I later confirmed as a graduate student at Washington University, as I say, in the dusty halls of academia. And that was really where I got my start. However, I ended up going into the corporate world as in, in retail management and then as a retail buyer. I worked for both Macy's at the time and made department stores. Mm-hmm. And then segued that into, then left that and uh, started my real estate business. And Mm. I like to say that that was a, it was a kind of a plan for five years that got, I put my retirement date from real estate in my, initially in my Palm Pilot. Then I pushed out the date and put it in my BlackBerry Pearl and then my BlackBerry Curve. And then I you know, pushed all the dates out until it was finally in my iPhone. So I ended up doing real estate commercial uh, investment and residential for 20 years while using that as my lab for the work that I intended to do and am doing now mm-hmm. in the realm of critical thinking, applied curiosity, and decision-making. So I tested my frameworks while I was uh, working within, you know, the w- working within real estate, I kind of, like I said, used it as my mm-hmm. field study lab. So, what do we define for people listening uh, in a very quick way? What you do for the kinds of organizations that hire you? Well, what we do is use frameworks that we've created in applied curiosity and critical thinking, borrowing from the twenty-five hundred-year tradition of using rational rationality and logic and converting that into digestible practical ways taking it out of that academic realm and mm-hmm. using and using framework creating frameworks that allow those techniques that are these ancient techniques to be applied 
to strategic decision-making for organizations and millions of individuals who have taken my LinkedIn learning courses and have attended our workshops. So that's really Mm -hmm. what we do. So give me an example of the kinds of organizations that would say, hey, we need help with um, curiosity, um, strategic thinking and critical thinking. And the reason I ask that is because if it were me, I would not necessarily say, hey, I need to find uh, ways to be more curious. Perhaps just explain to me what kinds of organizations would bring you in and practically speaking, what would you help them to solve? To be clear, it is there are some creative agencies and creative organizations that do want to spark curiosity in their employees. What they come to find out later is when we have our discussion is what we do is really optimizing critical thinking and curiosity specifically for decision-making. So we are not just in this realm of using curiosity as a, you know, for creative endeavors. I mean, it happens, Mm -hmm. it happens, but it's really as a tool for extracting insights and ultimately leading to making better decisions. Everything that we do now really comes back to the pocket. I think of a drummer in the pocket. Uh, The pocket is decision-making. So whether we come at it with learning about how to use critical thinking, which by the Mm -hmm. way, is very different from strategic thinking related, or how to use applied curiosity, which by the way, is very different from free-range curiosity, although they relate, specifically to creating a system within your organization or yourself to a reliable system for making clean, wise decisions. So that's really mm. what we do. And we do it in, you know, through keynotes and workshops. And eventually we're still in beta mode for our high stakes decision-making online training and coaching cohort program that we're okay. launching next year. Um, so it sounds to me, uh, as someone who is a third party here, it, it sounds to me like you'd bring uh, you'd be brought in to help decision makers um, perhaps make critical decisions. And, and if I think of the times when that kind of need has been addressed by organizations, it's often been when people are at a strategic level, perhaps they're in the job of making acquisitions of other companies, some kind of mergers, maybe they're launching new products or services. Um, they are redefining who they are and what they do for the clients that pay them uh, to do what they do. Is that about right in terms of the natural market for this service that you provide? It, it is. Excellent. Thank you for helping kind of make that clear. Mm-hmm. The What we prefer to do is come in to companies who want to have a reliable decision process. Right. That so something really, really formulated, not just, hey, we have a nice idea, but how did you get there and how do you justify that uh, conclusion? And really learning that outcome bias, judging the quality of your decisions by the outcome alone can be uh, a trap. And Mm -hmm. so that's when we come in for our workshops, whether it's applied curiosity workshops or our critical thinking workshops or our HSDM. We would prefer to do that ideally when you're not in the midst of having to make a decision but maybe there's one on the horizon. There always are, right. or there's one that you are, uh, maybe you're doing a, you know, a pre-mortem and maybe you're doing a post-mortem on a decision, but right. we would no. rather do it to create a, to create a framework where people say we have a process, a hygienic decision process 
in place. Right. Not the kind of um, back of the envelope, spur of the moment, uh, knee jerk, let's fire 11,000 from Twitter kind of decision making. Uh, <laughs> not, not, not necessarily that. And that, I mean, that's a really good, that's a good example, a salient example, because a lot of us feel, particularly when we've had success and we're senior leaders, that our intuition is a really good tool for making decisions. Right. And it can be when the conditions are in place, but one of the conditions that is never an indicator of whether your intuition is a good tool for strategic decision-making is your confidence in your intuition. There is mm. no correlation, positive correlation between your level of confidence in your intuition and the quality of your intuition as a decision-making tool. So here, here. Yeah. And I like what you said the first time we spoke, no person is below dignity and no idea is above scrutiny. I think that should be on a t-shirt somewhere. Right. I mean, that's really critical thinking, how mm -hmm. critical thinking and that distinction and moving away from logical fallacy. So those are some of the things that we do. We call it filtering the inputs that we mm -hmm. do to kind of create teams and organizations of what we call good thinkers. Right. So, you know, we help the thinking process. Now, I absolutely have to ask you about these things you've mentioned. You've mentioned a couple of things, the difference between strategic thinking and critical thinking, free-range curiosity and applied curiosity. Now, on the back of that, most people would hear the words curiosity and thinking and think, well, I could do that because that sounds like, you know, skills I've been born with. Why don't we just separate those two, first of all? What exactly is the difference, according to you, between strategic thinking and critical thinking, because they're not the same. They're not the same. They are related, absolutely. But when we talk about critical thinking at Applied Curiosity, we're really talking about the ancient, what the ancient lessons revealed and the frameworks we created. So critical thinking is a tool for assessing information, quality, relevance, and validity. So it's how you judge mm -hmm. what to believe and what to do. Whereas strategic thinking is applying insights and opportunities to overcome barriers, solve problems, and accomplish goals. For example, if you hear the five whys, why, mm -hmm. why, 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 right? Then you should be thinking strategic thinking, root, root cause analysis, right. cost benefit analysis. Got it. If you are trying to make sure that the evidence you are using to do your root cause analysis comes from a reliable source, is valid, is relevant, then you are doing critical thinking. So you have to kind of, so we call it the three legs of the good thinking stool, creative thinking, strategic thinking, and critical thinking. You have to understand the distinctions, even though they're related, so that you make sure that your stool rests on a foundation of evidence Mm -hmm. that you can rely on, we call it RRV, to be reliable, relevant, and valid. And that really is the critical thinking realm. How do you interrogate evidence? Critical thinking. Mm -hmm. What are trends over time? Strategic thinking. Okay. Uh, the difference then between free-range curiosity, I've never heard that term before, and applied curiosity. How would you define the difference between those two? 
Most people think of curiosity. When they think of curiosity, they think of free-range curiosity, mm-hmm. that childlike sense of wonder. And then we lament how we have lost that childlike sense of wonder. And free-range curiosity can be really, really fun and inspiring. But applied curiosity is using curiosity in a strategic way to ask we call it MVQs, most valuable questions, using curiosity in a strategic way to solve problems, overcome barriers, and accomplish goals. So using curiosity as a strategic thinking tool, mm-hmm. free-range curiosity is just this childlike sense of wonder, just think, opening your mind. You could Some people equate it to you know, divergent thinking and convergent thinking. And it's a, it's a, it's a loose analogy, but when you think, make those distinctions clear, you can Mm -hmm. stop lamenting that, that childlike sense of wonder. Yes, it lessens as we put more things together, but we can still coming back to no idea is above scrutiny. You can Mm -hmm. still come at many of these issues that your work issues and personal issues by elevating curiosity ahead of criticism, judgment, fear, and complacency. And okay. really using it strategically that way. So, in in a few moments ago, you, you talked about uh, you mentioned the, the Palm Pilot, all those things from mm-hmm. from the past, and uh, I couldn't help think about uh, parallels here because I know that um, I've sat on ideas for a while. I've not yet, you know, crystallized them in my mind, and that's become an excuse not to do anything with them. Um, you've developed several pieces of intellectual property, which you've mentioned, PicPack, HSDM, et cetera. I wonder, to make this um, relevant to people without uh, defining what those things are, I think the lesson is um, in in the time it took for you to develop them, uh, formulate them, and then actually do something with them, how much time elapsed and were you happy with that time? You know, I think it would. everyone would like the time frame for our ideas to get out in the world to be shortened. But I wanted to make sure, and this is something that I think a lot of people maybe um, could take advantage of. If you're mm-hmm. working for a corporation and you have this idea that you ha- want to be an entrepreneur, you want to do something, you can use that time within your corporation to test some of those ideas. I mean, you can do your job and you can, I always call it, I'm part-time ape, part-time Jane Goodall. You know, some of the time I'm in there just doing with everyone else. And some of the time I extract myself to see what is happening. I kind of take another view or I test something to see how people react and keep track of that. So I used my time in real estate to test some of these frameworks. And some of the ones that I came up with really stunk. I mean, they were not good. I thought they were brilliant, but I would much rather test them when the stakes aren't that high. So I did that. I really, and I think a lot of people who are working in corporations could test some of their ideas and turn them into frameworks. And then the other lesson that I think is super important because it's a mistake that I made is when I did take the leap to go become an entrepreneur, you know, it's hard with, you know, National Speakers Association and you want to get your name out there. And I failed to recognize that I am not scalable, but my frameworks are scalable. Right. So we are in the process right now of moving away from BeckySaltzman.com to really, this is about Applied Curiosity Lab. And it's hard, you know, it's your... 
you have to step back because mm-hmm. I don't want to be the product. I want these frameworks, the ones that I've tested and didn't get thrown away to be the business, to be the frameworks, to be the intellectual property that people get excited about. And if they forget that I ever was associated with these frameworks, it's fine with me. And of course, there's a very good reason for that commercially. Um, your intellectual property is inevitably tied to you unless you take steps to make sure that it's something that's independent of you. And if you go and at some point hope to sell your business to someone else, they're not just buying the products, they're buying the intellectual property. So what you're saying actually makes sense. And it's something I've had to do recently is to think, how close am I to my business? Not necessarily in terms of execution, but in terms of, let's say, ownership of things. If someone were to buy the brand that I'm developing right now, would they feel that it's something which can run without me? And if people always think of Becky Salzman, when they think of Applied Curiosity Lab, then that really hasn't worked. So it sounds like you're trying to step away so that your brand doesn't get in the way. Is that right? Or is that it is. kind of, and it's, yeah. it is, it is, it is hard because mm. there's so much pressure to become verified, to step out, to make yeah. people talking about you. And I, you know, and it's easy to be critical of that when you're being criticized. But it's mm-hmm. harder to be critical of that when you're being celebrated. So it's okay. really about keeping that ego in check. If people say, oh, Becky's awful, try to find out what is at the root of that. And if it's useful information, act on it. If people say Becky's great, same thing. And anytime I can take the Becky's great and transfer that to the content I'm going to try to do that. And it's not easy. It's a, it's kind of a lifelong thing. It's hard when your ego is tied up with your business. But my goal is to make it about the work, make it about the transformation that companies experience, mm-hmm. not necessarily just the way they feel when I'm in front of them on a stage for an hour. And I guess when you have online courses and you're the person front and center, again, you're in people's minds the person behind the brand. What are your thoughts about building that team or building a team of associates that take your ideas in the form of maybe certification or some form of intellectual property, which is licensed to them to use? Because I think this is what many trainers and consultants have found is something that gives them a breath of fresh air, particularly when at the latter end of their career, and I'm nearly there too. When you're thinking about all the things I've learned and the things I've developed, how do I now monetize this so people, so it's making money when I'm not in the room? I'm not exchanging pounds or dollars for time. That's one of the things. That's a great question because that's one of the things that I really did spend a lot of time researching when I was using real estate as my lab. And that was the use of language. If you are talking about frameworks that people have to explain, to remember. It's different than when they have mnemonic devices, little kinds of words. Take Stephen Covey, Seven Habits for Highly Effective People. People know sharpen your saw, begin with the end in mind. Many people now don't even know who Stephen Covey is, but they have a language, a common language. So one of the most important things that I saw was when I didn't have a language for the frameworks, I just described them as you know a critical thinking framework. 
there wasn't a way to kind of make it unique and enough of an intellectual property. Whereas pickpack, the essential questions that you have to ask, that becomes a helpful and you hear people or most valuable questions. Are you asking your MVQs? All of the frameworks that you have that you hear people using that language. And with my courses, with my LinkedIn learning courses, people are sharing content all the time. RRV, your intuition ref, all of the frameworks that we have, many, many of them are not mentioning my name at all. And that's when I know I'm on the right track. Right. So if someone says VOMP, which is, I think you said variations in mental processing, is that right? Yes. Yes. Then you you almost feel like a proud parent. It's something I've created and they're using it and it's uh, it's in the conversation. And you have to also get over if people kind of quote, steal your ideas, you have to kind of think "Hmm, Mm. maybe the long-term, long-term, that's a good thing. Because if you chase everyone, especially now who is steal, I heard someone else use VOMP variations in our mental processes. And they claimed that this was a thing. Now I knew it was something that we came up with to describe all kinds of things. And I thought to myself, my first thought was, "Hmm." and then, then you have to stop and think this is a good thing. People are talking about your frameworks. They're owning your frameworks. And ultimately, and this may seem a little mamby pamby, ultimately my goal is to help people become better thinkers. And if that organization benefits as a result and wants to pay me to do it, great. But my goal is to help people become better thinkers. Yeah. And when we first spoke about this, um, we had this discussion after we stopped recording the first time we tried to record. And uh, we, we agreed that you can, one can spend so much time and energy chasing people if they take your intellectual property. You have a training business, you're a consultant, a coach, you came up with that thing and now someone else is using it. Is it worth your time to try and stop that? Or should it be actually a sign that it's so good other people are willing to take it and use it? And ultimately what counts is that it's effective to the extent that people actually use it. Um, Absolutely. I mean, it would be nice to train. um, Our goal is mm -hmm. in the next, in 2023, to train a couple of people who can deliver our workshops. That is a goal. Mm -hmm. Now, whether you license that information to them or the content to them, or you pay them to per presentation, to be honest, I have not, we have not worked out those details. Mm. My guess is it would not start with a licensing because that's a lot more complex than just yeah. paying some training someone and paying them for each workshop they deliver. But I don't have those details worked out yet. Yeah, we had a guest, in fact, two guests on the show in, in recent months who have um with trial and error attracted a group of people who whom they've trained up and then licensed them as practitioners for that training material in particular territories. But it, it is complex. You're right. It sounds like now the next step for you is to ensure that your brand, that transition from beckysaltzman.com to Applied Curiosity Lab is complete. And then uh, it sounds like that material might be of interest to people who become associates of yours. And then pr- maybe step three would be to then think of certification or something else. Um, Other ideas for next year for your brand, Becky? Well, yeah. So that's the big thing is we're redoing the website with Mm -hmm. the goal in mind of really highlighting the 
Applied Curiosity Lab and the con and the frameworks. And we are moving from beta testing our cohort online training coaching program from beta for HSDM, high stakes decision making, to actually active. So the beta, we're working with a number of organizations, taking them through small cohorts through this program. It's a 12-week mm-hmm. program. And so far, I'm thinking it's pretty awesome. So we're <laughs> excited about that. Now, whether right. that's going to be, I don't even want to say, because whether that's going to be early 2023, if I use the planning fallacy and I use the techniques that we teach to avoid the planning fallacy, I cannot, taking the outside view, say that this will be ready early 2023. So it'll probably be, although we are enrolling some more beta testers. So if anyone's interested, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's that possibility too. What is the planning fallacy? Tell me. Oh, the planning fallacy? Oh, the planning fallacy is why so many plans are completely become completely bogus but the 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 simple tip is to understand the difference between the inside view which is looking at my life and saying okay i've got this trip planned i've got these workshops i've got these speaking gigs i can probably squeeze it in there and taking the outside view where is a reference case where someone has launched a product like this mm-hmm. and how long did it take them and then balancing the inside view and outside view. Because we tend to think, oh, we're going to be able to do that. Not thinking, what if we got COVID? What if something else came up? We don't, even though we know that these uncertainties are floating out there. So I know when my inside view says, yes, we will be ready with HSDM the first half of 2023, the outside view, looking at the ambitiousness of this project and what other people have done with these kinds of ambitious projects. No, it will be the second half for sure. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, well, we'll put all notes, of course, in the show notes to today's episode, all links. And uh, I guess that leads me to ask where you'd like me to direct listeners. If people are listening to this, you can find, of course, Becky on LinkedIn. But where else would you like listeners to go? Well, you can go to AppliedCuriosityLab.com. We are in probably our old site will might be still up by the time you listen, but depending on when you're listening, our new site might be up. And you can actually take the HSDM readiness survey, which tells oh. you, are you ready for making high stakes decisions, whether as an individual or as a team? So other than LinkedIn, that's probably the best place to find to find us. And between us as uh, training professionals, everyone listening to this, of course, is our, our peers. Um, I guess if someone takes that uh, survey, that is that forms a lead magnet. Is that right? Which they yes, then and then they does. go into a funnel, and then you market to them online. Absolutely, one of the best things. If I was going to say the best piece of advice I can give to fellow training professionals is. People want to know more about themselves. Yes. Give them a way to learn more about themselves and you will match what you want, hopefully benefiting them to what they want more about themselves. Mm -hmm. Yes, I I completely agree. And I've just started using a a platform called score app. I think it's scoreapp.com to help build surveys, but you're absolutely right. People are always curious about what they know about a subject and uh, it's irresistible to your listeners, your leaders, or your customers when you give them something to help them find out more about their knowledge or test their knowledge or 
something. And I guess that comes back to that uh, uh, element of curiosity, which we began the show with. Absolutely. We're most curious about ourselves. Yes. Becky, thank you so much for being my guest today on the show. Thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. Thanks to Becky for being my guest today. And you can find out more about Becky by visiting her LinkedIn profile. She's got some wonderful LinkedIn courses and she has a new brand, which we've mentioned. And I'll provide those links and all links to this week's episode over at trainingbusiness.com. It only remains for me to say thank you for your time today. If you have a question or a suggestion, and many of our listeners do, you can email me directly via mark at trainingbusiness.com. My team and this show would not be possible without the help of my team, Sam, Joe, James, and Turul, and I appreciate your loyalty and your time. And we'd love you to come back again next Thursday. So please click on the follow button or the subscribe button to be notified of great episodes. Until next Thursday, next Thursday morning or afternoon, wherever you are in the world, please keep going, keep training, keep leading, keep selling. Don't give up. See you then. Bye for now. once more for listening to this episode of the trainingbusiness.com podcast. See you next time.